0: Welcome, friends, to Radio Free Muncie, broadcasting from the back of a van somewhere in the Muncie Greater Metropolitan Area, and your source for reviews and discussion of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic, created by Jolly Blackburn, published by Kintzer & Company. So jump onto your Vespa, ride down to the games pit, crack open your dice bag, and grab a character sheet. It's game on.
1: Go ahead and pull over once. Let's yell at that guy. All right. Is that a, is that a? Does he have a dice bag on his belt? Yo, dude. Yeah. Yo, holy shit! Is that Dave Kinzer? Oh no, man. That's not Dave. Dave's got Dave's. Dave's doesn't have that much hair. He's much more muscular than this guy.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, COVID. COVID did a number on me. <laughs> hey, it is Dave Kinzer. <laughs> hey guys. Hey man. Come on. I don't usually get in strange vans, but I, I I know you guys, so I'll go for a quick ride around.
3: Yeah, how about it? We just got done talking about uh, finishing up Bag Wars. You you remember that All one, right. right? Yeah, I've heard of it. Let's hit a drive-through and pull over and talk for for a bit. All right, you pay. What? <laughs> <laughs> Don George. Yeah. Make the new guy pay.
0: It's G week, so George <laughs> has to pay. <laughs> So bag wars, yeah.
2: So I'm happy to talk about that. I'm happy to talk about my old campaign too, and it's got some, it's got some Greyhawk in it. Got a lot of Calamar history because that's where it came from. The bag wars. That was the, the intro to bag wars. Jolly Jolly says he remembers that I was the one that told him a funny story about. Some folks had kept their kids, their an army locked up in a bag of holding, which wasn't, you know, 100% right, but it's pretty close. And I think if you look at bot 5, page 4, I think it's page 4. No, that's Hacknoia. I don't know what page it is. I just had it. Behringer. Maybe that's, what's Berenger in? Bot 4?
0: It starts, uh, troll stories in 5, then Behringer is in KODT 14 the Barons Rebellion.
2: Yeah. So that's in five. 14. I got to find memories of 14. 14 is, it's interesting because, so I'll give you a lot of inside baseball here. This is different than what you guys are expecting me to talk about. But so, you know, I think it's well known that Jolly joined Kenzer and company after leaving AEG where he, where he created KODT for the, actually he created KODT on his own. And then got together a, with AEG a guy named John Zinzer and they, they formed AEG and he, he worked with him. And then after leaving, he joined us a year later. Issue fourteen, well after, after Jolly joined us, we issue four, five, six, seven, those issues were basically just a comic book with a little bit of extra stuff like an editorial and you know some fake ads and what have you. And at the time, Shadus was the only independent magazine and it was sort of battling Dragon Magazine. And I think when Jolly was there as editor, I think he was doing a really good job. And as he left and maintained for a bit, but started slowly degrading. He had some interns and some others that, that he worked with, some employees, that I think some of them were very loyal to him still. And they, they they did an okay job, but without Jolly, I think it was doomed and it started slowly coming down. I mean, Jolly is pretty brilliant at doing magazine stuff. I mean, that actually may be his, you know, I think he's got the the greatest knack for. And and we had a plan, ultimately, I think, to turn KODT into a magazine. That was our plan. And when issue 14 came out, it was our first one where we added a bunch of extra stuff. There was like there was like a, a Calamar adventure in there, an AD&D 2E adventure with a map and stuff. And I was really proud of that one. I think it had an eight-page insert where it was essentially like a magazine. I got a call from John Zinzer, his old partner, like, right after that. And he said, I know what you guys are doing. (laughs) 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 He was, he was totally pissed. I'm like, what, John, what are you talking about? Oh, no, that was just an insert. Right. But, but eventually Shadis went out of business and we kept going. And so there, you know, it is what it is. So, but I thought that was pretty funny. And so at 14, I I, I have a soft spot for that. And also it kind of shows when Jolly joined us, we really had the main plan was we were going to write a bunch of, role-playing products a bunch of fantasy role-playing products and you know kingdoms of calamar was our campaign world that we had and we had some adventures planned we had one that was published another one that was almost done when jolly joined A second one called secret temple of Adaji, i noticed was also mentioned in the the first i think behringer's rebellion at the beginning the the, the flavor text for it where they're walking through the desert and all that that was because We were working on this module, all four of us working on this module together that was set in the desert. And so that flavor text kind of snuck into the Coyote T Strip.
0: Is that where they were? He mentions the ivory-colored lizard man or whatever. They're going to fight.
2: I don't remember, shame on me, because I read it like an hour ago to refresh myself. I just remember Chelsea's feet kept getting stuck in the sand. Oh, yeah. uh, They were running out of water. Right. And so they're, you know, we're, we have to admit it. We're lost. We've been, you know, it's the same damn sand dunes. They were looking secret temple. My ass. I think that was a Bob line probably. So we, we, we were, we were writing that. And, you know, and I remember Jolly's con- big contribution to that. It was near the end. And he, he added a bunch of, there was some cool stuff in there with, in the, in the city, Dagasha, Gasha, not far from there, a bunch of like scams and tricks that could be played on the party by, by thieves that was that was one of the big things that he contributed anyhow that was issue 14 and i got a really soft spot for that cuz it was the very first magazine type issue also Behringer's rebellion came out of that and i'd say you know that those are kind of the it the golden age starting like with issue 6 but ramping up through those 6 through 15 those were the maybe through 20 25, those were the ones where we were really working as a team, four of us. I don't think anything got published that all four of us didn't, didn't go through. And I remember reading this trip today, I think it was Dragon Repository, but don't quote me, that was the first trip that we did like without Jolly. And I think he, he came in later and he reviewed it, you know, as editor, but we had, we did it and handed it over to him I'm like oh, here. Cool. But there's a footnote in there, and that, whatever that bundle of trouble is, talks about that. I guess you guys probably already made it through that bot and had a had a had a van had a van discussion.
3: Uh, we, we've done uh, issues no. one through seven.
1: Yeah, and then and then we did Bag Wars from the trade paperback. So we we're getting we're gonna get back on track with issue eight with our our next one.
2: Yeah. All right. I'd love to join you for some of those early issues. It was a really exciting time for us. We were finding our way like as a team working together and just enjoying each other's company. And you'll see, I mean, even looking, I just looked at one of these editorials, even looking back at some of these editorials, they're always about like, hey, we were at this con and we were, you know, we wrote this one <laughs> on a laptop while, you know, working the booth. You know, there, there was, those were times when we, did a lot of small cons and you'd have you know sometimes hours of downtime between customers where you're just hanging out you know and getting to know each other so that I mean we were friends before that but we we're you know becoming much tighter during those times so those are that was pretty cool pretty exciting time for all of us I think as as industry professionals
1: well in in jolly was it part of like your because like some of you guys were friends like since you were kids right
2: so the first one I met was Steve? I met him freshman year in high school. He was in my biology class, and it was alphabetical. But he didn't sit next to me. That was a different guy named Phil Creticos. He sat on the other side of the room because you know Jay was on one side, and then we, we started on the other end. So we didn't know him very well. There was a lot of things I could say about Steve, but none of them good. Like, totally didn't like the guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was really 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 weird. <laughs> He wore his glasses, funny, and. and Wait, was, you're,
1: are you sure this is Steve Johansson you're talking about?
2: <laughs> little, he was crazy. He was like kind of one of the nerdiest guys ever. And anyway, I had a and campaign at home, and the, you know, after school, you know, a bunch of other we were all nerds, bunch of nerdy freshmen, and and he heard us talking about it, and he he would always ask, and finally we we're like, yeah, you can come and play. And like, we didn't like playing with them. Sometimes we would not tell them when we were playing, <laughs> so we didn't want them to show up. So that was how I first met Steve. Brian independently met Steve in homeroom because it was alphabetical. We were a big high school. We had a, I don't know, over three thousand kids. Our oh, wow. graduating class was almost eight hundred, right? Or it started at eight hundred and finished with 750,
3: 760. Well, I like think that. my entire high school only had like five hundred total. So the whole high school. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so there was kids I graduated with that I never even knew. You know, you know, most of them, probably five, six hundred of them. But so he was, he was with Brian in homeroom and they got to be, I don't know how, if they were friends freshman year or not, but Steve just, we had a lot of the same classes. And so throughout the years, then sophomore year, he was also in a bunch of my classes. And Brian, Steve was really, Steve's a really smart kid. He was like, he was in accelerated everything, except English. He was math, science, history, whatever. And and Brian was like a math and science kid. He was like regular English, regular history. So there was some interaction in classes. But sophomore year, I had to drop out of Spanish because I was not a I was not a good student when I was a freshman. I was in all these advanced classes, but I was not a good student, and I almost failed Spanish. Turns out. Like, there are some classes where you can just kind of go and listen in class and take the test, like history. Yeah. But turns out foreign languages don't work that way. So I got like a D. <laughs> I was in Spanish too as a freshman. I had it in junior high and I was Spanish too as a freshman. I almost failed. I got a D. So, sophomore year, I'm like, I got to try something else. So I took German. My mom's Austrian. She's fluent. Oh, yeah.
0: I took German in high school four yeah, years did I. I took two yeah. years. Awesome.
2: Though. So I was like, hey, I got to learn German. So, alphabetical seating chart. Guy in front of me, some guy I never met before, Brian Jelke. So that's how I got to meet Brian. And Brian and I, unlike Steve and I, or Steve with literally anybody I knew, I don't think Steve even had a friend freshman year. He came from a parochial school. He came from like some sort of Swedish, no, Norwegian, I don't know, one of those, some Nordic parochial school, Lutheran school, like through K through eight. So he didn't know, like we all came from kind of public, junior high so we all came packaged with a bunch of kids that we knew he was sort of by himself and you know looking back i guess we were kind of assholes to him but he was really not likable <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was you know and there might have been 90 kids that were all and all this 90 120 kids who were in these sort of advanced ran through these advanced classes but you take regular classes like gym and 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 foreign languages where you're kind of with the crowd and so that's where i met Brian. and Brian and I hit it off right away. We became great friends. Probably by the end of sophomore year, we were we were really tight. And he introduced me to all his friends, which were like this guy, Adam Napomnik. He became a shareholder at Kenzer and Company and other a bunch of other guys. So I started running with his crowd. I, I had a like I had my burnout friends from freshman year, then I had like my accelerated class friends, and I had like Brian and his group of buddies that were from Park Ridge that were totally from a different and so I started running with those guys. And that's also when I met Tim Anton. Tim Anton went to middle school with those guys, but he went to a different high school. He went to Maine South. That's where the rich kids went. Poor kids went to Maine East. I mean, none of them were, none of them were poor, but, you know, as poor as you get in the Chicago it, suburbs, yeah, relatively, relatively speaking, right? So, so we were on, like, probably not the best, you know, side of the track. So in any event, Tim was on the rich part. His his parents his his grandfather had founded a company called WEN Power Tools, which you yeah, guys I, may not remember, know. Yeah, remember yeah, you God. guys might not know what WEN is, but but like probably in the '60s, if you talk to your father or your grandfather, you'd be like, "Hey, do you ever hear a WEN?" And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's like Black and Decker or Skill, like it, or Makita, oh, cool. like everybody would have known it." Mm. Yeah, they ran that company to the ground it's for it nothing inside of business, so. <laughs> but but when we were in high school it was a big thing and he kept telling us all how he was gonna be a millionaire and you know when we were in college, Brian and I were in engineering school. It was like you guys were trying too hard, like I'm just gonna be a millionaire, you guys are working so hard, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be worth a hundred times more than you guys are. It didn't work out. But in any event, that's how I met Tim Anton.
3: Yeah, so, I remember the story uh he got the uh, covers for the first printing of Calamar through the company. Those great covers.
2: Yeah, through when? we all when the gray covers and he did some of like these these photo shoots you would like make some somehow make negatives like actually taking pictures you put the artwork down you take a photo of it and that's how you would digitize it to put it in the product or actually we didn't digitize we actually they called they were called paste ups then and we would actually have like papers and you'd glue onto it a printout of the text and then you'd glue the picture into where it went Right, And you'd have to line it up by putting on a glass table and putting a lamp under it. Luckily, my dining room table was glass. And then we would put the lamp under it. And then you could uh, look through. And they were called blue lines because they had blue lines. And then you could adjust the pictures to match in the blue lines. That's how we printed the first Calmar book. Yeah, I
3: I got a bunch of those blue lines from the volume two that I got at the Mm -hmm. Kenzer auction at the office that one year.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I seem to recall those being auctioned off then. Yeah. Yeah, that tens are coal
2: yeah we have a bunch of old shit like that that we should probably at some point you know go through and you know they should be they should be sold to the highest bidder so people that you know have you know have nostalgia for them can can keep them put them in better hands than like molding away somewhere there's probably i should go through some of that. i probably should frame some of that stuff put it up <laughs> in my house anyway so that's how I met those guys in high school. I met Coletti through, he, he was two years older than us, and he knew Jim Coletti, James Coletti. He knew Adam Napomnik and, and Carl. Carl's our treasurer, our, our secretary treasurer now. Carl Carl and Jim were two years older than us. They also went to our high school, and they gamed they gamed with Adam and maybe Brian sometime. I don't know about Brian. And so I met them through that, and kind of that's how this, this group started pulling together. That became... Tensor and company and i learned some things like when you make a company with your friends like the most important thing isn't that you're all interested in games it's that you all share the same work ethic because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i've heard this story before this <laughs> brian steve and i were the only ones that shared the same work ethic. so like we had 14 or 15 of us and basically the three of us were delivering everything and these other guys weren't and so that's sort of you know kind of how that panned out but then, you know, Jolly came on the scene and he's that was actually kind of a sore spot at the beginning because he he wasn't sure he could trust us. He's like, you guys have known each other for all these years and I'm sort of the outsider. Like, I got to be very careful what I do and be careful about my properties because we're like at the company, like whatever you own becomes part of the company. I don't own any of my w- work. It's all copyright the company like you don't own you're going to join us. You don't own K O D T anymore. You don't own any of this stuff. It becomes company property. You get stock. That's how it works. This is corporate America, right? Like it's not, you know, it's not a partnership like in the old west. And so we eventually convinced him to do it. But those were kind of his reservations. And he remember him voicing that to me. We went to a con and Tim Anton was there. And this guy, Mark Schultz, a guy I met, he's also a Kenzer Co. guy. We met him in college. He became, he was my roommate in grad school, but I met him in undergrad. And he became, a, he was Jim Clutty's and my roommate our last year there and and so we all knew each other and i said you got it all wrong like look i met this guy my freshman year this guy my sophomore year this guy my junior year went to college met this guy met that guy like they're all still we're all still a team we're all still together and now you're the newest guy and then 25 years from now there'll be other new guys you'll be the one that you, that we've known forever. Like you're now part of the group, like you're got this all wrong. It isn't, there's a group and then there's Jolly, like you're us now. You've been assimilated into the board. And he, uh, he didn't, um, I think he, you know, it took him a few years, but, and I think even late into the, into the late nineties, he probably still had reservations, but you know, when we got our offices and we hired all these people and things were really rolling, we started, we made the Hackmaster, actual game, all that stuff, I think at that point, he, you know, he, it had been enough years where, I mean, Jolly's like my brother. And, you know, and I and I think probably vice versa. So anyway, I think that, you know, you asked the question. That's, that's kind of, I knew these guys from years, but nobody from grade school. So that's a false rumor. <laughs> hey, Dave Brent, Dave Brent, I knew from sixth grade, but I wasn't friends with him. I thought he was a dork. <laughs> and, but Jelke became friends with him they met like in science class or something in, in high school and, and then he was in that group so when I started running with that group I met him and then I started hanging out with him and we became like best friends so in any event that's kind <laughs> of so, how people met each other I don't think that's, that's going to be that interesting to your listeners well
3: <laughs> yeah, I found it interesting cause...
2: <laughs> well now I'm certain they won't find it interesting <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, my God. You guys talked to him ahead of time, didn't you? George, you're the new
2: guy now. We wanted,
0: Actually, George, the reason we're doing this call is we we all wanted to get together and talk to you about this Calamar project and get an update on where you are. (laughs) Oh, I
3: was actually actually working on that during my lunch period today. Yeah, sure you were. You
1: opened the file.
3: I've got five Calamar files with today's date for the modified date on it. During my yeah, are you defending
1: your work now, George? Like oh, Wes is <laughs> calling me it, out, so it must be he's, bad.
2: He's he's uploading stuff faster than I can than I can read it. So <laughs> you want to talk about bad words or whatever? And you distracted me by asking me how I met all these guys, and I rambled because I'm getting older.
3: Yeah, but I yeah. Think that's why we ramble whenever we do all these episodes because we're all in our fifties now. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sixty-four. Oh, no, you're just Just kidding. So, so Bagwar. So the idea for Bagwar is like, like a lot of things. And, you know, and actually one of the first meetings that Jolly and I had, we talked about our creative styles for what we wanted to do for, for role-playing games and making product. I walked him through sort of Calamar and, and, and the central, Portion of the world of Tallinn being the the Calamaran Empire, and then he was like, "Oh man, that's totally like this empire that I had in my in my world, which later became Garwie's world." And and it was, there were a lot of similarities, so we, we took a lot of at add, and adding detail to, to Calamar. We used a, a lot of stuff from Jolly's campaign, and and he would write things and he added in, and so it became you know he and he became part you know, part owner of that, if you will, like uh, intellectually just as a, as a, as a game designer and kind of like how we both were going similar directions with our home campaigns and with our home worlds and, and all that same thing sort of happened with bag, bag wars. I think, you know, he had a, he describes in a footnote that he had a, a player that was putting like a hit, a squad of troops in his bag and he would try to, Used it to smuggle them in somewhere or something. And then he forgot about him. They all died. And like one, towards was a Donner party situation where one of them ate the rest and he was pissed. Jo- Jolly and I were talking about, you know, that sort of thing. And I said, and my story, which I don't know if I made it into an editorial or not, which I think, I think the bag wars is more based on considering both Brian and Steve played in that game
1: <laughs> was
2: that, in my home game, which it was before there was a calamar, before it was a twinkle in my eye, we were playing in, in uh, college. It was set in Greyhawk in the Great Kingdom. And the idea was they were trying to find the long-lost emperor in, or heir to the throne to put on the throne. And in the process of that, they found these two genie bottles and they had two rings on them and you could take the ring off and you could put one in your pocket. And if you put one on your finger and you twisted it, you would disappear and you'd appear inside like this genie bottle. And they were huge. They were like condominiums. There was all these rooms inside. You had like, you had stables and you had places for training and you had all sorts of apartments and kitchens and all sorts of stuff in there, but they were all empty. And so they, they you know, and looking back, that was a missed opportunity. I could have made it like this huge freaking dungeon. <laughs> but there was two of them. So you, you could go into either of them and you could use them for different purposes. And so trying to put, they, they had found the heir to the throne and, and, and they were going to try to put him on the throne and they found the sort of Kings, which later became Rovac, Fendoral, and, and Calamar. And so this, this is like descendant of Thedorus This is sort of translated to Calamar. And in doing that, they were trying to build an army and we're playing AD and D one E And so they're basically using the hireling rules or like interviewing guys and being like, Oh, you're a hobbler. Like, okay, you come over here. Oh, you're an archer. All right. You come over here. How much you, how much you want? Oh, you want one silver piece a month or whatever the heck, the, whatever, whatever, whatever the heck it was. They each went off and recruited guys individually as player characters, the different cities, And then they came back, they all met together. They would ride together with their new found guys and they would all come together and be like, what do we got? Well, we have 13 archers and we have, 22 light cavalry. I got one, I got one Lieutenant. Like <laughs> they're trying to, so then they're putting these guys in the bottle and they're trying to find more and more guys and put them in the bottle. And they never even had, I don't even think one battle. They were, they were filling the bottle with men and it would take it a month. And then they went, went to town and they let them out and they were like, let's let them out and let them have some like shore leave. Right. So they, cause they would let them out like in the wilderness and they could train like out and then they would force them all back in. And the, Players probably didn't think anything of it, but I always commented like that they would be grumbling and stuff because they were out in the sun, and, and so they'd put them all back in the bottle. So eventually, they got a hundred guys, hundred fifty guys. They're like, "We got to get a big enough army where we could field an army to fight I think like they better a put battle." Some women in there too. <laughs> I, not, I didn't think they got any women. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I take it back. Oh my God, you made, you reminded me of something. No, they had to make armor for these guys. So then they got armorers and they met this guy who was an armorer and he's like, well, I don't want to just go with you, like leave town. I got a family. So then there was, and if I bet you if Jelke were on, he would actually know the guy's name or have it written on his record sheet. It was some dude, Joshmo, And then they were like, we have Joshmo, And we got Joe Schmo's wife and his two kids. <laughs> like they had them all. And, <laughs> and I and, and remember the players talking, you know, like, I don't know, Coletti or Anton or somebody would be like, What is Joe Schro's wife doing here with his two kids? He's like, he had an eight to 10-year-old. I had to to bring him. We we couldn't leave him behind. He wasn't going to leave his family. So there's these debates at the table, right? So, yeah, there ended up being like this entourage of other people that they, and then they had to beat him. Like a regular medieval army. They would have a huge train of people behind them. (laughs) Right, exactly. So there were all these costs. I was like, no, no, no. They're like, well, we have 137 soldiers and it costs this much a day. And it's been a one I'm like, no, 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 no. You're forgetting the 27 other hangers-ons that you have to feed them too. You agreed to feed their family. And so they, so then they're like, why the, why the fuck are we feeding all these people? Like, it's too much money. We have to go adventure. We have to go get more money to try to feed all these people who are living in the bottle. So then what happens is they're like, okay, we're they went to a big city. I don't know, like, call it Bet or something like that. It was, but it wasn't. It wasn't bet calamar it might have been on the fringe of the kingdom somewhere it might have actually been in the young kingdom somewhere like bet castle or something like that they're like all right let's let all the guys out it'll be like shore leave we'll give them each like two months salary like five silver each or something like that and we'll let them all go crazy and we're like you got to be back in 48 hours and then they're like what's that when we come back They're like well then we're gonna we're gonna reassemble ourselves back into the bottles and we're gonna travel to another place And we'll do more training. And (laughs) and so they let these guys out and forty eight hours come by and let's say there was hundred and twenty guys they let out. There's probably more, it's probably like hundred and eighty. Like forty guys comes back. (laughs) They're like, where the fuck is there? Like, where the hell is everybody? So (laughs) so like maybe they maybe they missed maybe they're drunk and they you know, they they passed out. So they wait another day and it turns into a week and maybe ten more stragglers come back. Now they're sending people out to bars and stuff, they're looking for these guys can't find them they obviously went AWOL they're like <laughs> they're like well, Screw yeah. i'm not going to go live in a bottle for cuz they would leave him in there for like 5 weeks right while they're cuz they don't remember they got to put, get him in these bottles yep. just like Brian in this in the strip they put him in these bottles and they're like we're going to go fight these giants we're going to do this we're going to do that they're being adventurers and then they're like oh shoot i'm wounded i have to rest for a week i'm down to zero hit points whatever no one's thinking about the guys in the bottles. It goes on. They do a whole adventure. They level up their characters. They train. They go do another one. They're trying to save money to find. And they're like, "Oh, we got to build our army." But then they forgot. They got these guys living. In the but they bottom. got an army. Yeah. <laughs> now they have food and water and all this stuff, but like rations. But if you think about it, they're living in basically underground. Like there's no. It's not like yeah. there's windows. <laughs>
1: right? Well, and, and, and there's no. There's nothing. There, there's nothing new. They're living underground with the same group of people. So there's nothing. There's no entertainment. There's no going out. There's right. no like. They're right. stuck there twenty-four-seven. Yeah. You know.
2: They didn't even have work to do. They were right. like, oh, oh yeah. we're gonna go train. Let's go hit the dummy for a while. Like.
1: No. No women either. It's not like an army that marches into no. is marching across the countryside or something. There's just nothing.
2: You figure there's like a whole army of 15 to 28 year old guys in there like for six weeks with nothing to do like people would be probably murders. Yeah. yeah they'd be killing <laughs> right. each other they'd right.
1: literally be getting into fights and killing each other right. and they all have weapons too right they're all carrying oh yeah yeah they're, they're, they're
2: yeah they're heavily armed, <laughs> heavily armed. yeah and there's armor <laughs> there's armors in there though what did they got something to do right because they're making armor like i got it. and there was weapons uh, oh i i pumped out 22 crossbows this week right like and they'd go to towns, they'd be like, we have to get resources for these guys, right? Like, what do they need? They need wood, or they need metal, or they need, you know, you've got to buy more coal. Funny stuff. So, anyway, I was telling Jolly that, and that's sort of how the Bag Wars got, got formed between those two campaign stories. And Jelke was, his dwarf, Bromite Ironheart, was guy guy carrying the bottles, and he, he recently started using him again, actually, and, and Hackmaster. Oh. And uh, and it qu- quite impressively, I might add. It, 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 it w- at the last game session, I was like, "Brett, your your dwarf is is way more awesome and honorable in Hackmaster than ever was he ever was in ad and <laughs> he, <was kind> of, <laughs> he, he was kind of a scumbag. Now you're like some kind of hero. <laughs> so
3: how, how did the uh, bag zones come up? Are you?
2: I' pretty sure that was a brainstorm session, but I actually think that was Steve Johansson. Who might have had that initial spark, and and that became like, what if, what if they're all connected? Like there was a counter. I remember having the discussion, like the four of us. There may have been other people, like Noah, one of our uh, interns, or he became an employee, but he was an intern at the time. There may have been some discussion around that. Like uh, it might have been pre. That was probably pre Noah. I don't think he joined us until like '99. And and there was probably discussion around like, what if these bags, like. You know, it's a world. Like what's past the what's past the bag? Like what's over the horizon. We're like, well, maybe other bags like this is a place where other bags are holding ghosts. So that oh, yeah. that that's how that whole thing started. It was a brainstorm. And and I don't I don't remember the exact genesis of it. That's I'm, sure, catalyst, Jolly, I'm sure Jolly remembers. He probably remembers that he came up with that idea. <laughs> but I, I think it might have been Steve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the catalyst yeah. there. I mean once once that's out of the out of the bag that hey these are connected nice boom this yeah it's that's it blows up then that's cool
2: yeah so so anyway yeah that's that's how it started and that's how we you know it it's these sessions of sitting around just having having a drink or eating a pizza and just talking about this stuff that's how that's how it happened and our honest to God, our best work was you know, passing, passing strips between each others or or modules or whatever chapters of game masters guides. Like and I said it in the past in different formats, but when the four of us actually worked on something where each of us contributed and edited and wrote and added, that was by far our best work. And I, and I just think you know I'm blessed to be able to work with three geniuses that that that's everyone besides jelky three three G. <laughs> no i mean i think the four of us together was you know i don't i don't think anybody could, could do better than than what we did as a team and I, and i i look back and i just think man it's a shame that we didn't do more than we did <laughs> so we got there's like a lot of the drudgery of running a company and doing books and packing product and doing things like that. That's how you spend like 85, 90% of your day and 10% of it is doing something creative. And that's um, outside of a day job. Right. Except Jolly. Jolly is the other, kind of the reverse of that. He yeah. spends more time doing creative. In his downtime, he's still creative, but it'll be like, I thought of a way to do an ad for this or I tweaked this thing for the website, you know, or I took a picture of this thing. You know, It's it all ends up being, you know, very creative. So anyway, had we had we you know I I wonder what it would have been like had we all been able to do this full-time for like a decade and you know what kind of cool things we would have done but you know game games industry is not the way to raise a bunch of kids and it's, it's hard there isn't there isn't money there even successful companies they, they appear far wealthier from the outside than they are from the inside and I'm talking companies that seem right now way bigger than us you know, like to just not, it's just not the way they look at cons. You know, if you, you saw their offices and what's going on there, it isn't the same. There was a, there was a guy in the nineties, a reviled member of the industry now, but a guy that ran a bunch of companies various times. And he said the, the standard salary for, for, for uh, someone in the industry in 1986 is 20,000. And now in 1996 is 20,000. And then 1999 is 20,000. It's going to be 20,000 a year forever. <laughs> <That it's, laughs> he's probably closer to right than wrong
3: yeah I'd heard uh, years ago that one of the highest paid uh, full time RPG designers was lucky if he was making 50 grand a year and he was living in a big city at the time with the, the higher cost of living and everything
2: well during our heyday we made a lot more than that but we were a lot more successful than people thought or knew or would ever know and we we I think we were frugal and, and thoughtful on how we deployed our resources and spent them. So I'd say that, you know, aside from paying too much to ourselves is probably the wrong, that was probably the wrong thing. It would have been better to not do that. And that was, you know, and then we started hiring employees even after that. But, you know, we had a lot of stuff going right for us for, for a lot of years. I mean, I think still, still the, Company does very well, but there was there was a period of years where, and, and actually I, I regret a lot about those years more creatively than anything else. There was products that went out that I never even I never even read, or 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 only had been able to give a cursory look through. And when I looked at like everything from sort of 2001 and earlier, there wasn't one keystroke that I didn't see before it got published. And and I would say the same of the others. Not just not just me. Like I had not like I'm a control freak, I had to see everything, but all of us reviewed pretty much everything. And
1: yeah, Jolly Jolly mentioned one time something about I remember a conversation we were talking about spiders, spiders scratching against the outer wall of what what's that town that he likes to, to write about? It's Ben-Gary? Where?
2: What? Dengiri.
1: No, no, no. Oh. It's in Calamar.
2: Oh, oh. Shaitan Adobio. He yeah. he likes to a double yeah he just called it because
1: it was something about spiders being outside the walls of it and and he he said he 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 said that to you or something and you were like what the hell is it like what you know like you just had no idea what i was talking about and he kind of said like that time period you're talking about where people you had a lot of people writing and just some things got out that weren't really well
2: we Around that, you know, in the early 2000s, we kind of switched it. And, and actually, I, I said all four of us, and, and, I, and I mean that, but really we found that the formula was if any three of us, it didn't matter which three, went through a product, it was it was absolutely brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. It didn't matter which three it worked. But, you know, the time period he's talking about suddenly it went to two or one, or even the freelancer submitted something, we don't, like, let's just... Can we get some artwork and like it seems okay? <laughs>
1: but right. they're
2: probably yeah. that's probably a very fringe case, but there's things with George's name on it that I look at later and I'm like, Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> <Why are> we... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding, George. <laughs> I want to see what his face would look like.
3: <laughs> I remember when we were talking at Gary con uh, and there's a couple of products I mentioned, like I've never even heard
2: of that one. <laughs> the good news is all these products can can we own and we can now we can now like there's always good ideas and products regardless of whether we think they're good or bad or indifferent and they can always be taken and then and made brilliant shined up like a you know like tr- turned into a true gem be recut and they can be done that can be done so i'm looking forward over the next few years to start really diving into that kind of thing and it's always easier to take something that's been done and and edit it and make it brilliant it's much harder to write something from scratch that's mediocre that will then later become brilliant. And, you know, that's why I think we worked so well as a team, because we trusted each other. You could write something that you thought was a good, decent idea, but it was pretty much incomplete. And somebody else would take it and run with it in directions you didn't think of that just kind of add onto it and make it even, even cooler. And, you know, and a lot of a lot of I think my best work is taking things that Jolly wrote and being like, that doesn't fit at all with like this section of calamar for example and be like but but let's assume it's true like why why would that have happened and then then it really feels realistic and cool and it'd get really good verisimilitude because then i'll take it and massage it and then brian will look at it and you're like it still has that jolly really cool idea kernel that could probably have never happened but now it's plausible because we added all this other stuff and then you know we call it calamarizing we calimerized it, and then now it's now it's really awesome. And that's happened, I mean, this is not over the last five years, it's 25 years of doing this kind of thing. And I think it's, you know, products just get that much better that way. Yeah,
3: yeah I like how the Sharjani uh, have evolved over the years from the pseudo-undead out of the first edition Monster Manual 2, and Jolly first published it in Shade is number five, I think. And then it's evolved over the years, and the past year or two, we got the new Hackmaster version of it with the Sharjani being in Hob 2.
2: I didn't realize that he had made it based on the pseudo-Undead Vampire.
3: Yeah, if, if you look back, I think it's Shade is 5. It, that's where he talks. It first appeared. That's what it's based, loosely based on.
2: Yeah, that's that's fascinating to me because I, I had uh, I had used that monster, too, in my game. It was an interesting monster because people didn't know about it. And the reason they didn't know about it was no picture. Yeah. I, I found a bunch of monsters in 1E, both the 1E Monster Manual, Monster Manual 2, and, and even Fiend Folio, where there was no picture. And those monsters, nobody knew what they were. And, and because when you're a player, you're flipping through, you're looking at a cool picture, and then you're reading an entry. So the ones that didn't have – there were some really lame ones, too, like the Nilbog. Yeah. But- <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs>
3: There's actually an adventure in a, one of the dungeon magazines based on the nail bog.
2: I know. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. Anyway,
0: all the time we're we come up with okay, bag wars. That so you know we like that story arc but man, what are the other ones that you would like to see, right? Like Carvin Marvin or, you know, Pack of Doom or, you know, what What are some of these others
1: that, yeah, that would... That's the one I want, Carvin Marvin and the Pack of Doom. Yeah. I think that's my so, favorite overall.
2: So the original Carvin Marvin strip, I believe Jolly did that on his own. Is Because when we started doing Bundles of Trouble, we realized that they didn't actually... They didn't actually fit in the exact amount of space that we needed. So we had, we had fill space. So we added a bonus strip and we also were like, how do we get people to buy this? They already own the issues. Like let's put yeah. one more strip in they'll pay an extra 10 bucks. Yeah, Like that was, you know, so, that J-
3: Gary Jackson style, Gary Jackson, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I'd say there's probably more Gary, more of me and Gary Jackson than I'd like to admit, you know, after- <laughs> <laughs> really? No way. No way! So,
1: uh, <laughs> We're so uh, shocked to hear you admit that.
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we, we talked about that uh, in one of the earlier episodes about who Gary Jackson was based on.
2: Yeah, yeah did you have Jolly as a guest for that?
0: We had. You're the first person that's been on. Yeah,
2: yeah, you are. Oh. You are our first oh. uh, so celebrity. I, I I was just reading one of these bots, and it had a, the first. I think an early Gary Jackson strip that Jolly and I worked on. And it, and the commentary at the bottom was like, fans usually don't like Gary Jackson, but they were here. <laughs> yeah. So it's the, it's the one-legged dwarf. It's the one-legged dwarf thing that Gary Jackson files. Yeah. Um, and it, and it was, it was that those strips that actually launched Gary Jackson as being more of a regular, die in the comics because people really liked that inside look into heart eight only because I think it related to the rest of the characters. And I, I put a footnote in here somewhere in one of these spots I'm looking for right now that actually said that. And it said, there's a footnote, it's a different footnote. It said, it's funny. We started issue 14 with this strip idea. This is, this is a sure thing. Gary Jackson files where they're all calling in asking for a mini because that's how game companies are. A bunch of people ask for the same thing. Then you're like, Hey, we should make right. that product. And yeah. Like, yeah, right, right. yeah, So <laughs> it was suggested from hell. The guy that was the, the president of Thunderbolt mountain at the time, he made some really great miniatures. Actually. He also made the KDT miniatures, by the way. And that ended up being like one and a half issues. It's like that one strip idea. So anyway, you can't find the footnote now. So, oh, well, I don't know how I got on this, but in any event, yeah, here it is. Page seventy of bot five says this issue had more Gary Jackson panels than any issue we've ever run before or after. Typically, maybe now there's been more after, but at the time there wasn't right. typically not as popular as the nights. This time our readers just ate it up. The tight coupling of the actual nights and seeing the results of each hard eight move made these strips more endearing than usual. So Anyway, was, and then it became the box of body dwarven parts, and Bob's looking for a right leg. And yeah. Of course, of course, he can't find one because they're all... There are none. There are none. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Gary Jackson's kind of a compilation of all the the crazy things that we've seen other game company, you know, business folks, which is also the creative folks mostly. You know, ideas they come up with, like, "Oh God, I got all this stuff to move. How am I going to sell these products? Today? I got a warehouse full of stuff, and it's or it's all filling my bedroom. I have nowhere to put this stuff. Well, how what, what kind of thing can I do to try to sell these things?" And you sit around coming up with these ideas, and so that's sort of how that how that came about.
3: Oh, that's like the Power D Four. Steve Johansson no. had. He he told me that he had ordered like 2,000 of them because that was the minimum to get the price. And you guys were looking for <laughs> something to sell. He says, "Hey, I got all these 12-sided D4s sitting at the house."
2: Yes and no. His plan was originally to make those D4s, and and we were gonna we were gonna sell them in some we were gonna sell them in some way, and we were gonna do a Kickstarter on them. I think originally, but we didn't know he ordered them. He did it on his own. I guess he was like bitching with someone about about how you know four siders oh. how crappy they are and they should be shaped like a 12 sider and have and so and by the way those things are killer if you like I don't use them when oh, I yeah. game master because I just think it's not fair like if I roll monsters that do 3d four damage that's an with penetration that's an automatic like 19 right there yeah so I don't, I don't use them I use the old school like pyramidal one I remember
3: first time I saw them Steve was telling me about them at Gen Con and told me where to go buy some, said they'll change my life. you need information about a 40 year
1: old game now then you need to listen to the save for half podcast the podcast dedicated to talking about some of the oldest games out there we make sure that you get your old school gaming information piping hot in under an hour or your money back old school gaming is a division of old men screaming at clouds old men screaming at clouds is an affiliate company of old ladies talking to cats and wholly owned by the mud puppy games network Has this ever happened to you? Okay, Tommy, you need to roll a 12 to hit, and save the party's bacon. With my bonuses, that only makes an
0: eight, baby. Oh jeez, a six. Ah! Don't leave critical rolls to chance. When your party is counting on you, wield the best. Choose Black Oak Workshop Dice and Accessories. With over 175 products, The family-owned and operated Black Oak Workshop's thematic and innovative designs will jazz up your game. Let's try that again, Tommy, with dice from Black Oak Workshop. Oh, Draco Lynch, D20, don't fail me now. Natural 18, baby, take that foul beast.
1: The lone kobold succumbs to your relentless assault. The day is won.
0: Black Oak Workshop, official dice maker for Radio Free Fremontcy. Home of the original adventure calendar, Black Oak Workshop, where dice are treasure.
1: Ask your game master about the 5% experience point bonus when using Black Oak Workshop dice and accessories. Side effects from Black Oak Dice may include angry dungeon masters, more critical hit, shorter combats, increased envy levels from gaming friends, excessive boredom from too much winning,
2: so i got bot three here now so let's have a look just curious what's in this thing even no this is before this is before jolly oh he didn't put our names on these so it's hard to say who worked on what i'm not sure i wonder if there's anything in the footnotes. oh there is oh yeah okay there was just that one that didn't have a name i don't know why Lord of Steam, I guess Jolly and I wrote that.
0: Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yep. that was Nitro. Yeah, did you guys did already that. do that?
2: You did that, yeah. okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah we did that
3: one. Yeah, we've done one through seven so yep.
2: far. I drew the first Bob's dad, and Jolly didn't. Jolly went a totally different direction, but it, but at at some point, I think he may have published the the original picture that he had. Because right at the even at the beginning, we were even drawing characters and stuff. The rest, of us, we were taking a hand at trying to do stuff. Steve redrew Stevel from the tippy looking dude to like a guy that turns out needs a self portrait, which we didn't realize at the time but later, <laughs> <Right>. like, oh, <laughs> that was freaking you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah I great. I didn't realize Steve drew Stevel. That actually because I always thought he was Steve.
3: Yeah. yeah I, I I always just assumed that Jolly did all the drawings. Yeah.
2: He did he I mean look, Jolly did almost all the drawings, but in the early days, you know, now that we talk about it, I'm remembering. When we're on issue five, six, seven, eight, nine, we were, in fact, what I I was reading the dragon depository, we did all the art, which was basically Jolly's art, but we turned the heads back and forth. So (laughs) that was how, that was how you do it back then. You would cut the head off, you'd hit, you'd box it, you'd hit rotate and you'd put the head back down. That was how we were. That's how, that's how we did the art. And Jolly got much more advanced as time went on. But I think I wrote that in the footnote. I just read it today, you know, and, I knew I was going to be on with you guys. I think that's in bot five. So th- these are things that I had even forgotten, you know. And then the most advanced thing was in, in issue, what was that? Issue 13, men that hacked Jolly put sunglasses on all the guys. That was like a huge leap forward. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was the one with the Behringer Rebellion. I don't know when the where the dragon repository was even. You guys didn't review that one yet, huh? Oh, the best of the war horse. That was good. People complained we were picking on Bob because it got real bad for him for a while. Oh, those yeah. really issues. Yeah, but it was fun to pick on Bob.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that before, too. How Bob's the one that gets picked on the most. Oh, man. BA with Bob so continuously. From the very first
0: strip that's ever been drawn, you mm-hmm. open the door and a magic user dies.
1: What? Yeah, he just kind of chokes.
0: But then every
1: <laughs> every time something happens that's kind of unfair, it's always Bob. It's always BA yeah. going after Bob.
2: You know. I think the rest of them might not have taken it. So <laughs> yeah, you know, like the other guys yeah. wouldn't take it the way Bo- Bob's so resilient. He just he comes back for more, you know. And he kind uh, of makes is-
1: himself a target because he gets mad and attacks. Like he he kind of invites. I mean, Dave is kind of dumb. But he's not as he's not as aggressive, like nakedly aggressive as Bob is.
2: Okay, so Price of Passage is the one so that's in Volume Four, that's Issue Twelve. And so I'm looking at my footnote. It says Price of Passage is a landmark strip in a lot of ways. It was the first strip initially written by someone rather th- other than Jolly. I wrote it in just a few hours, actually. Brian had a contribution or two, and so did Steve. You'll see notes on these later. But it has become – I don't know if they ever added their notes later because we were supposed to pass the notes around, and I'm looking, and I I think that this is like another example of they got past the thing, but they were busy with doing something else and never added their footnotes. Hmm. Hmm. I got a Dr. pay back in 1998 for that one. So (laughs) I say because of the tardiness, Jolly actually – we were late with production because August, we would always lose out an issue from Jolly – having to go to cons and stuff and there's just tons of work so because it's an october issue it was late because of this tardiness jolly actually did not contribute at all to the writing of this strip, and the artwork surprise surprise was completely recycled <laughs> 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 so what you see is the first strip ever completely composed without jolly's immediate help although i'm pretty sure he fixed up my layout or did it all by himself so he probably rearranged what we did or whatever I like to think Price of Pack- Passage springboarded KODT's transformation into a group development effort. While well, strips as early as issue number five had involvement for Brian Stever and myself, issue 12 was the first where Jolly's kids grew up and standalone KODT writers. In hindsight, it's pretty interesting that almost every strip in bot volume five was a collaborative effort, which was the next bot after volume after this. But I think those were kind of our... <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at issue 10. I guess that was Jolly's landmark issue when he drew the... What what do you call those those virtual reality machines? Now, now, amazingly, they they copied his design and Meta copied his design, right? They, they looked yeah, great. right. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, they do. He's a he's ahead of the curve on a lot of things. There was a lot of things predicted in KODT that came true.
2: Hey, hey I told you guys that 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 one price of passage was the first one we did, but we did that one lock, stock, and barrel. But the first one we all wrote without Jolly was Luck of the Macaw. But oh, was, yeah, it, we covered that one. Yeah. That, yeah. But that caused a, that caused a little bit of bickering amongst the four of us because we we wrote it. We typed it up in word, which is how we would do it. You know, like B.A. colon. And then it would be what he wrote. And we sent it to Jolly. And then he when he laid it out, he changed like a ton of it. And the final product was so Jolly's fingerprints are all over it. But we all felt very strongly that it was nowhere near as funny as the original. Oh <laughs> it, man! It, somehow we missed. We, and I actually think we, you know, we always said we wanted to write a sequel, which we never did because it was actually almost all only set up but like, Bob was having the luckiest day of his life. Yeah. And it was yeah. set. It was set up for a fall, as we said. Bob's always the guy getting picked. There was a setup for a fall, and we never actually got to the fall. And that, like, there was supposed to be a sequel to it where. Bob's dice just like are terrible. But anyway, we wrote that on the way back from Jolly's. We were at a, we were visiting him or at a con in Fort Wayne or something like that. We were with Jolly and the three of us drove back and we did it and we wrote it. And two funny things happened. I told you the second one, the first funny one, Steve was in the back with a laptop and we didn't realize he couldn't keep up with us, but Brian and I were in the front. We're going back and forth. We're laughing. We're coming up with all this funny stuff. And then we're like, "All right, Steve, we'll email that to us." Yeah, and Steve would interject periodically from the back seat. We didn't realize that Steve was like the worst two-finger typist ever. He could I,
0: barely oh, type
2: anything. Man. <laughs> so none of us are typists, but Steve I I could like do 30, 35 words a minute of crappy typing with maybe four fingers or whatever. I'm, I'm certainly not a typist, but Steve was probably like six words a minute kind of guy. We had no oh, we didn't realize. No. So we get home and Steve emails it to us, and Brian and I are like, the hell <laughs> there's like nothing here this isn't what we talked about and like we had to add a whole like we're like where's the stuff about this where's the stuff about that? Where's, that where's that where's that where's that and what we finally realized was steve was sitting in the back couldn't keep up with us and like missed 90 percent of what we were saying. oh, oh man. and he wasn't saying like hang on hang on i didn't get <laughs> right, this down. right he just was like let us keep going so we thought we're like all right next panel and so we were like dictating panels and we got it and it was like literally like 10% of the words that were finally published were actually there. We're like, what the, man. Steve, where's the rest of it? It's an old file. And he's like, no. And he wouldn't admit that he couldn't type it. Like it took us hours of bickering to get around to that's all Steve typed from the back And we're like, well. so anyway, yeah. so that but was one. Like and then, <laughs> so then we kind of like, kind of like rehashed what we came up with. We got it down, which probably wasn't as funny as what happened in the car. And then sent that to Jolly, and then Jolly rewrote it all. So it was a team effort. I still think, and like people think it's a classic. I think you guys just said that you like it, but I yeah. look at it and I go, God, that's not that funny. Like it was so much better. Oh, <laughs> <You know>? man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I loved anyway. it. Read but, the
0: original. It would be cool.
2: I There was no original because Steve yeah, never wrote the oh, thing yeah. down. Steve, I got a million Steve stories. We could oh, do. Yeah. Seven hours of podcast just on Steve.
0: Well, hey, man, we appreciate you coming on and spending your Friday evening here, kicking off with us. I know it's your busy dude, but it's good to get uh, from the horse's mouth, like setting the record straight. (laughs) So now we we can go back and tell Jolly, hey, Dave beat beat you to the podcast, so
2: love to get brian on and jolly i know if we all do it together it'd be great or even two of us would be awesome i'd love to join you guys again
0: thanks for listening to radio free muncie if you have a comment You can leave it at our Anchor site, or you can email us at RadioFreeMoncy at gmail.com. See you next time.